You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We got fresh frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. <laughs> yeah, I got a MF wagon. Like, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny. And the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball. And if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here. And next. What's up, everyone? It's Nick. Amanda's not joining us today. She is busy watching playoff hockey as we are recording during Game 3 of the Caps-Bruins series. So we're going to be, you know, hoping for a win simultaneously. But I'm joined by my best friend and co-host, Ryan. How you doing, bud? Um, I'm I'm doing well. Corey Kluber is currently on no-hitter watch. Right. Yep, and yep, yep. Double overtime's about to start. So it's a pretty exciting time, but life is good. Yeah, I mean, is the NAS game over yet? I've been so focused on hockey, I haven't even checked. It is currently the bottom of the seventh inning. It's a 1-1 count. Kyle Finnegan just threw a ball for those who are listening tomorrow morning. I mean, Kyle Finnegan of immaculate inning status, throwing a ball is just unacceptable. So I think the Nats are doomed, but we'll keep you up to date with uh, our live reactions on that as best we can. Um, but let's get started with our quick pitch. And obviously a lot has been made of the White Sox situation. For those who don't know, um, the White Sox were playing the Twins. They were up 15 to 4. Twins are throwing a position player. 3-0 count. Your mean Mercedes swings away on a 47 mile an hour pitch. Hits a bomb to center field to make it 16 to 4. Tony LaRusa, as everyone knows, old school guy, did not like that. Had, you know, take took exception to it. Um, stuff followed Tim Anderson back to his guy, Lance Lynn back to his guy, Tony Larissa called them both out. So Ryan, let me ask you these unwritten rules, the way the game polices itself, the, you know, the way you're supposed to hold yourself, the disrespect, is it time to, to get away from them? 
The unwritten rules are quite possibly the dumbest thing about baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a dying thing. Like Tony Larusa is fighting a dying fight on this, and Tony Larusa and the unwritten rules represents a breed of baseball that needs to be phased out of the game. It's not 1970 anymore. It's not the 80s anymore. Okay, I remember years ago, A-Rod was thrown at because he walked in front of the mound after he got out. Yep. It's things like that are incredibly stupid. Baseball needs to attract younger fans and the average fans. Right now, the three biggest storylines in baseball that are getting nationwide attention, Shohei Otani, get all the attention in the world. The guy's unreal. All the no-hitters. And all these old fuddy-duddies complaining about how the game is played now. So, younger fans, people who may just be average sports fans, all they see is, oh, in baseball, if you show emotion, you get thrown at. That's not how you attract new fans. Golf had the same problem. Golf was seen as the old, rich, white person sport, the gentleman game. You played the right way. You showed respect out there. And they had that issue. Then, golf decided to embrace the youth movement they had in their sport Mm-hmm. And the viewers change. The viewer demographic change as well. Baseball needs to do the same. People like Tony Larusa need to be phased out of baseball. The unwritten rules are stupid. Embrace what you have. The unwritten rules should not exist. I don't want to hear anyone say the unwritten rules anymore. I am so tired of it. Yeah, and I probably should have let off. We have a great interview with Pete Medhurst that you'll hear in a little bit, and we talked about uh, you know the whole Tony Larusa situation with Pete as well because. As we're recording that, the whole, you know, Lance Lynn update about Tony La Russa calling him out uh, as well broke. So we talked about that, and Pete was saying the same thing, but you're absolutely right. I, I think the the way the game polices itself as far as, you know, uh, I can't remember the pitcher's name. I believe it was Tyler Duffy. I could be wrong. The, the next day on the Twins threw at your mean Mercedes, but he threw at his lower half. And he threw behind him. He didn't throw at his head. You know, it, it was intentional, but not necessarily to hurt. It was just the policing the game. That stuff I don't necessarily have a problem with. But at the same time, the Twins don't have a right to be upset. They were down 15 to 4, and they chose to pitch a position player. If you are going to be that upset about what the other team does, how about you throw a pitcher out there not a position player who who maxes out at 47 miles an hour you are waving the white flag and asking you know the other team to pour it on why when the team's already up you know 12 would they stop it it just doesn't make any sense i mean there this is the major leagues this isn't you know my travel team or some other little league where there's a run rule and it's like merciful to to stop the game. This is the major leagues. You don't like it, fix it. So the fact that, you know, the twins are taking exception to this and Tony La Russa of all people is, you know, having a problem with this is just ludicrous. It doesn't make any sense. And, you know, everyone saw this coming when Tony La Russa was hired. The White Sox were, you know, them and the Padres were two of the most exciting teams to, you know, really look forward to this year and the the Padres went one way with you know a young and uh up and coming manager and Jace Tingler and the White Sox went the complete opposite in my opinion wrong way with Tony La Russa, a guy who is you know entrenched in the game that is no longer played 
or at least the, the style of game. I mean, for Christ's sakes, Tony Russa didn't even know the runner on second rule in an extra inning. Someone had to explain it to him. That That's a real story. He did not know the, the runner on second and extra innings rule. So the fact that he's trying to act all high and mighty and uphold the standard and, and the respect for the game that's supposedly, you know, uh, blemished by bat flips and swinging 3-0 and all this crap is just it's just stupid to me. The the unwritten rules need to go. I'm fine with you know some of the way the game is policed, but for the most part, it's pretty dumb. It, it is. Let the guys show emotion. Let the guys do bat flips. Let the pitchers be hyped as hell after a, a clutch strikeout. You know it all works out in the end. But this trying to you know have some respect for a game that everyone clearly respects is just, it, you know, it is what it is. But th- that's definitely something to monitor. Uh, I'll, I'll have a follow-up question for you, Ryan. Do you think the White Sox do anything with Tony La Russa? Nope. Um, the owner helped cover up his second DUI. Yep. He's not going anywhere. They're best friends. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see m- maybe after the season – it might be revisited, but again, that would depend on how the White Sox fare this season, and maybe the White Sox blame any shortcoming, any possible shortcomings on the injuries because they are pretty banged up offensively. So we shall see, and I'm sure this isn't the last we will hear of Tony Larusa losing the clubhouse even more. But as we start every episode, Ryan's going to take you through the weeks happening around baseball. So Ryan, let's get the midweek in review. Yeah, it is a mid-week review, but we have a full week of storylines. We have another no-hitter. Spencer Turnbull tosses the fifth no-hitter of the year. No, that is not a creative player at MLB The Show. He's a real person, and he's a pitcher on the Tigers who led the league in losses in 2019. The Mariners have been no-hit twice and have a collective batting average below 200. Make that six no-hitters because Corey Kluber... Just threw a no-hitter. That just happened as I'm giving you the weekend review. He is currently celebrating on the mound. We have thrown six no-hitters. It is May 19th. That's an issue. Moving on, Tony Larusa is causing headlines as we just discussed. He is fighting a issue that is a losing culture, and he needs to get over himself. He says he cares about the unwritten rules because he doesn't care about the laws of the road. He has two DUIs, in case you're wondering. MLB has seen a 20% spike in players getting hit by pitches this year compared to last year at the same time. There is a growing concern amongst the players as numerous players are being hit in the upper body, with most notably Kevin Pillar taking a 95-mile-per-hour fastball directly to the nose. This is what happens when teams rush up any reliever who can throw hard before they are ready. Moving to team news, the San Francisco Giants have the best record in baseball now, which nobody had. Mike Trout is sadly out six to eight weeks, which is the worst news of my life. And it's time for your weekly Shohei Otani update because he's the greatest player of all time. How good is he? Well, he has three home runs in his last three games as a hitter. He has given up two extra base hits as a pitcher all year long. He leads the league in home runs, and he's top five in the AL in OPS and slugging. As a pitcher... He has the lowest batting average against in the league. He has the second lowest slug, slugging against in the league, and he has the same ERA as Max Scherzer. To the American League, uh, sorry, excuse me, to the NL East. In fifth place are the 16 and 22 Nationals. They dropped game one and two to the Cubs without taking a single lead. Right now, they are beating the Cubs four to two as they are trying to look to 
even the series, and then they play the Orioles this weekend. In fourth place are the 19 and 23 Marlins. They split the first two games against the Phillies. Up next after that, they have the Mets. In third place are the 20 and 23 Braves. They drop game one to the Mets. They're truly a bad baseball team. They acquire Kevin Smith from the Rays. After the Mets comes a weekend series against the Pirates. In second place are the 22 and 21 Phillies. The biggest star in Philly right now is the fan who ran on the field and immediately got arrested. After that, their bats exploded. Philly fans are saying he needs to be their mascot for the World Series run. This weekend, though, the World Series run may take a hit because the Red Hot Red Sox are in town. In first place are the 20 and 17 Mets, who are having quite a month. They acquired Cameron Mabin for $1 from the Cubs. That's right, $1. And why did they have to acquire him, you ask? Because, so far this month, they placed the Grom, David, McNeil, Nemo, Conforto, Kevin Pillar, Albert Amora Jr. on the IL. Somehow, they're 11-6 this month. This has been your week review, brought to you in part by your local neighborhood Chili's. It is graduation season. Celebrate the new grad in your life with a Chili's gift card. For every $50, for every $50 gift card purchased online, you get a special $10 e bonus card that's right you give and you get with chilies that's how it is here this has been your week in review yeah congrats to all the the recent grads and hopefully you're able to you know have a somewhat normal graduation ceremony um and you know while i'm on it uh happy belated birthday to our content creator tyler who just turned 21 so happy birthday tyler um I want to talk about Shohei Otani, and I'm going to take a victory. Well, pre- probably a little premature victory lap because he was my MVP pick. Not that I, you know, wish any ill will on Mike Trout because he's the greatest player on on earth. Oh God, Bruin just scored. <sighs> but uh, fuck, what was I going to say? Um, <laughs> uh, not that I want to see Mike Trout hurt, but just, how much does Mike Trout injury? Mike Mike Trout's injury helped the Shohei Otani AL MVP uh, case. Um, he's the greatest player of all time. He doesn't need anything to help his case, but people are going to start doing that. Well, he's on the losing team. Should he really be the MVP? Nonsense, because the Angels are probably going to get a top five pick now because they're not very good. So that sucks, but I'm so excited for him. Um, I hate Trout being hurt just because Trout's probably my favorite player on the Nats. But, man, Otani is special. Yeah, it, it's pretty fun to watch. And I, I saw a thing today. He has the second hardest hit ball uh, offensively and the second hardest pitch thrown. The hardest hit ball is Giancarlo Stanton. The hardest thrown ball is Jacob DeGrom, both of which are on the IL. So a, as far as like actively playing players that are healthy, Shohei has the hardest run pitch and the hardest hit ball, which is pretty pretty insane. Um, as far as the NL East goes, it, it's, I feel like we say this every episode, but it's clearly very still wide open. And the fact that the Mets have, um, I haven't looked at it, probably the best record this month out of any NL East team. And the stuff they're going through just is kind of salt in the wound with what the Nats are doing and unable to do with now dropping another series to the Cubs. So do you, I know we talked about it with Pete a little bit, but do you see any sign of you know, optimism for the Nats to kind of like pull back in it. Yeah. I mean, their, their pitching is doing well. We already mm-hmm. talked about that. Um, more importantly, 
Victor Robles is turning a corner. He has had a really good week. He had a nice week against the Diamondbacks. That's continued this week against the Cubs. He did hurt his ankle, which, you know, of course, that's how everything goes in DC sports. As soon as something nice happens, it gets ripped away from us. But it's small things like that. I, I was like, I, I really don't know because this team is so inconsistent it's hard to find a bunch of things to be like, oh, yeah, this is how they're going to turn it around. It's going to have to be scoring consistently over four runs. Mm-hmm. They haven't done that this year. If Victor Robles continues to get hot, he needs to go in the leadoff spot. Juan Soto is going to get better as the season goes on, as his shoulder gets healthier. Victor Robles and Juan Soto's health are the two things I would say give this team hope. Yeah. I have to say, I mean, you can't count on pitching as, you know, nice and maybe as often as it is it might happen. You can't count on pitching to, you know, hold opponents to three runs or less every single, you know, outing. It, it's awesome when it happens. It certainly helps out your offense, but, you know, it, it it's just not realistic. So we need to start scoring runs, and we know where it needs to come from. So hopefully it turns a corner right now. They're, they're still leading. It's top of the eighth. So... Again, we'll give you our live reaction as that happens. But now let's move on to our great interview, Pete Medhurst. Uh, he has, you know, every single job known to man. He's all over the place, but you can hear him on uh, 980 from 3 to 7 uh, weekly. We talked about or um, every day, Monday through Friday. Um, we talked about a plethora of things, what the Nats are going through, like I mentioned, the Tony Rusa. So I hope you enjoy. Pete, it was a great interview. We had a blast. So here he is. What's up, everyone? We are now joined by Pete Medhurst of the Nats Radio Network, and you guys can catch him on the radio at Team980 from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. And make sure you guys give him a follow on Twitter at Pete Medhurst. Pete, how you doing, man? Good to be with you guys. Appreciate you having me. Doing all right. It's always good to hear. Always glad to have you come on the show um no way around it this team's struggling pretty mightily um they dropped the first two against the cubs they have yet to lead in the series so far through two games they're averaging more runs per game than only five other teams in the league and they're one of the worst teams with runners in scoring position in the league um what can the nats do to turn this around or more importantly who on this team needs to get going so the nats offense can finally start improving Look, I mean, everything is situational. Um, You know, last night, I mean, you've even got situations where Trey Turner's coming up, uh, who's been terrific uh, in coming up with runners in scoring position, two outs, can't, you know, get the ball out of the infield. Uh, Starlin Castro came up, same situation. Castro, of course, coming off the long hitting streak, then went into a slump, then banged one 430 feet uh, to to get out of that. I mean, this is all timing uh, and and time. Look, when when you get that two out hit, everybody looks like a, a hitting genius, and when you don't, uh, you, you, the numbers analytically are what they are. They're the worst team in Major League Baseball with runners at third base and less than two outs. I mean, they're well off the Major League average. Does that have to do with approach? Does that have to do with, you know, guys pressing a little bit too much of the plate? I mean, if we were talking about a team of Carter Keybooms here where everybody's young uh, and there's, there's not a lot of Major League experience, that's one thing. But we're talking about veteran players – you know, everybody talks about, you know, is Kevin Long going to be the fall guy? And 
you know, with some teams, the hitting coach, when a team is slumping, does, you know, become the fall guy. But let's face it. I mean, th these guys are all veterans. They know when they're going good. They know why they're going good. When they're going bad, they know why they're going bad. They know their approach is not the same. They're swinging to pitches that are out of the strike zone. They don't need Kevin Long or Davey Martinez or Mike Rizzo or anybody uh, to indicate that to them. And until guys start to take a more patient and better approach, if you watch a lot of baseball games, there are not many pitchers throwing a lot of strikes in Major League Baseball. But we sure have a lot of guys swinging at a lot of pitches that aren't strikes. And that's why the strikeout numbers, not only with the Nationals, but all teams, um, are outrageous right now in Major League Baseball. So until those guys change that approach uh, and realize that a base hit is just as valuable as a home run, then I think this is going to continue not only with the Nats, but with a lot of teams out there. Yeah, I think that's certainly an interesting point. And, you know, I'm most concerned about maybe Juan Soto right now, who just doesn't look like himself. Obviously, we had the IL stand and he's you know, he's back and says he's healthy. Everybody from the team says he's healthy, but he sure doesn't look like himself. Um, we had a tweet out earlier today from the the podcast account talking about his numbers against off-speed pitching, which um, he's hitting a career-worst 176 right now against off-speed pitching, and he was one of the best hitters in baseball last year against off-speed. So what do you what do you see there? Do you, you think he's not healthy, which seems the most likely explanation, or is there something else that might be a, a plausible reason for what we're seeing from him. Well, I think with a guy that has shown us to have an incredible approach at the plate, uh, choosy, good eye, we've got bigger strike zones in Major League Baseball this year. Now, I don't know if there was a directive from the umpires union or baseball itself, but I don't think it's taken a genius to watch all of these series so far. You know, not everybody is calling an Angel Hernandez or Laz Diaz you know, size strike zone, but we've got bigger strike zones in major league baseball. We've seen younger home plate umpires being fooled by catchers, snatching low pitches up, uh, not necessarily horizontally, but we are getting some low pitches in the vertical position snatched up into the strike zone by good catchers who are good at framing and hitters are going to have to make that adjustment. I think that's part of the issue here with Juan Soto. This is a guy that's got an eagle eye at the plate and we're seeing pitches that are off the plate inside uh, being rung up as strikes. We're seeing pitches at the bottom of the strike zone that maybe haven't been called strikes against hitters like him in the past that are getting uh, called strikes right now. So therefore, as a hitter, your entire approach changes. You're trying to, to swing at pitches now that aren't in the strike zone. Juan's greatest strength has been not swinging at those mm -hmm. types of pitches. And maybe it's timing. Maybe it's rhythm. Maybe it's, again, a guy trying to press a little bit too much. He knows his value to the team. And right now, sometimes you just got to be willing to take that base on balls until they can figure out somebody behind you uh, to consistently knock you in. Because right now, that might be strategically uh, the greatest thing you can do at the plate if you're Juan Soto. Be willing to take the walks and then eventually make them throw the ball in the strike zone and then punish pitchers uh, when they do that. But I think the biggest, the biggest Juan's biggest, um, you know, tool at the plate is being neutralized by umpires that are having these sizable strike zones right now. And it's not just against him, but it's against everybody in major league baseball. All you got to do is watch any game night after night. Yeah, that's a great point with Juan because, you know, his ground ball rate is way higher than it normally is because usually he, he elevates it and does a great job at it as we've seen over the past couple of years. And this year he just seems to be driving the ball on the ground. So 
you know, you, you can explain part of that probably due to having to protect at lower pitches uh, because of the expanded strike zone. Uh, one thing, you know, I wanted to talk about, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier, was Kevin Long because, you know, he, he's had noted success with the Yankees and, and Daniel Murphy and whatnot, but it seems like he hasn't really, you know, found his groove with the Nats. I, I don't know if that's fair to say, but there was a, a weird situation with the offseason. He was gone, and then all of a sudden they brought him back. And now it's kind of hard to tell or to get a good read on, you know, what his impact is on the club with some of these guys not playing to the back of their baseball card and playing well below it in some cases. What are your thoughts on Kevin Long, and could we see a scenario where he is a fall guy? I don't think you can ever count out any position coach being a fall guy when a certain segment of the team is not consistently performing. You see it happen to pitching coaches all the time. We see it happen to hitting coaches. We already saw the Mets jettison Chili Davis already earlier this year. They didn't wait long uh, in doing that. I think Kevin's got proven results. You know, when Anthony Rendon was here with him, uh, nobody seemed to have a problem with Kevin Long. Bryce Harper had one of his best seasons while Kevin Long was here, so I don't think anybody had any problems with Kevin Long at that point. This is a player's game. You know, we see managers get turned over all the time. Uh, we see hitting coaches get turned over, pitching coaches get turned over. But ultimately, this is a player's game. And this is a veteran team. And on a veteran team, you know, the value of that hitting coach in, when a team is doing poorly, I don't think is as great uh, as maybe with younger hitters, as I talked about earlier. I think in this case, these guys know, you know, they can go look at video and figure out what they're doing wrong and where they're approach is bad. Josh Bell can see as a right-handed hitter right now, he's just swinging at terrible pitches uh, at the plate. Kevin Long, Davey Martinez, Mike Rizzo, me, anybody else on the radio, all of our great podcasts that cover the, the Nationals out there, we can all see it. So Josh mm -hmm. Bell can certainly see it at the plate uh, right now. But, you know, that's, that's one of those cases where maybe a different set of eyes unlocks the key. And we see it happen all of the time. And sometimes it doesn't. And, and right now that's up to Davey Martinez to figure out, is there someone out there available who is better than what Kevin Long is providing you? Because I think that's the big thing. Sure, you can – I mean, I'm all for anybody hiring and firing people as they see, seem fit uh, in any business. If you're not performing, you, you know, somebody else should get an opportunity. But is that person you're going to bring in going to be better than what Kevin Long is providing? That's always – uh, I think the key when you move on from any hitting coach, I mean, look, when the, when they had good players on this roster, those players performed when they had proven commodities on this roster, those players performed. Nobody had a problem with Kevin long at that point right now. You're seeing Schwarber start to come out of it a little bit, which is good. A little more productive, much more productive at the plate. Castro of course had a hitting streak. Gomes has been terrific all year. You know, right now that this, this lineup's got one spot where it's bogging down. Is that Kevin long's fault? I don't think so. I think the player uh, knows uh, that he's got to find a way to play better uh, right now uh, in that lineup. And it's up to Davey to you got to keep giving him chances because you can't play Zim every day. But at some point, Josh got to start hitting the baseball. Yeah, I mean, you you raise a fantastic question. Is it Kevin Long or is it the not that great lineup? But <laughs> switching gears a little bit. Um, if you take out the first week of the season, the Nationals starters have an ERA under three. The bullpen's been pretty strong. Steven Strasburg is set to make his return. Um, and that kind of leaves Eric Fetty as the odd man out of the rotation. What do you think happens with Fetty? Do they go to a six-man rotation? 
Um, I think he's out of options. So you think a potential DFA, which I doubt they do, or is he going to become a long man in the bullpen going forward? I think it's a heck of a point. I mean, as long as Espino has options in that bullpen, you know, I think both has pitched much better than they could have ever imagined in that role. He's really adapted to that role really well. And perhaps, perhaps right now, if you're the Nationals, you take that last outing by Eric Fetty and you shop it across Major League yeah, Thank you. That's what I said. And, and say, hey, look at this. But if you do that and Strasburg hits another speed bump, then, then where are you? What do you do? That's the, to me, that's the biggest lingering issue here. We know Steven tries like crazy. Effort's never the issue. His body simply betrays him. You just know at some point, that that moment might be coming again. And that's the, that's the thing you hope for with Steven is that he can stay healthy. But the question is, ultimately, is Eric Fetty enough to get you a piece? Because you, you don't make a trade just to trade a guy off your roster because you, you've got you know, a plethora of guys. You're going to trade a guy like Fetty for someone that's going to come in here and be meaningful and be valuable. Who that player is, and what team might be willing to accept that is a great question uh, right now. Nobody wants to trade away reasonably good hitting. It's too early in the season for some of the bad teams to give up on some of their better players. So it's one of the few times where you have a great problem on your hands where you have several guys. And look, you know, Joe Ross has hit kind of a, a rough spot here. So if he were to continue in that vein, maybe – you would bump him down to the bullpen and, and keep Fetty uh, eventually in the starting rotation. So Fetty gives you great options as protection for guys like Strasburg, guys like Ross, if something uh, were to continue in a, in a poor way in his performance. So right now, I think you hang on to him unless somebody comes to you and says, hey, you know, we'll dangle this carrot in front of you. Uh, you know, will you bite? Uh, and that's, that's a good problem for Mike Rizzo. Mike Rizzo has proven more often than not he wins trades. He doesn't lose many. He doesn't lose many of them. So uh, I think it's a fascinating situation for him to be in uh, right now. Do I think they'll go to a six-man rotation? Maybe they keep Fetty in it as Strasburg comes back because they want to make sure he gets full four days rest in between starts uh, if, because they're in, a, they're in a part of a schedule where they've got a, you know, there are not many off days after having a bunch of off days. Uh, early in the season so it's a, it's a heck of a good problem to have on your hands when you have that many starting pitchers who you feel that good about right now yeah it's not a problem the the Nats have had very much in recent years and uh, it makes me nervous to I love the idea of having a you know major league ready piece that might fetch you something nice in a trade but you know with injury concerns with Strauss always kind of in the back of your mind and you know if anybody else goes down you just don't have the farm to you know have anybody down there you really want to bring up right now so I think I would not like to see them deal him at this point um I want to move on just a little bit though and talk sticking with pitching about the bullpen um you know they've had a few rough spots here and there but overall have been pretty solid um a big point of concern is Will Harris who really hasn't in his entire tenure as a Nat so far, has not impressed, had another rough outing last night. What are your thoughts on the bullpen in, in general and Will Harris in particular? I mean, look, for Will, it's just a matter of pitching. Uh, when you get shut down the way he did because of that issue in your hand, I mean, that's the probably the worst possible thing as a pitcher that you can have. And it, I think the, the questions become, 
you know, everyday availability. If they don't have him available every day, and, I, and that's a problem right now because he's not available every day, how that hand is reacting after each outing, does it affect his grip feel for certain pitches that he's trying to throw? And I go back to 2019 in Houston, and they used him uh, almost like, you know, it, it felt like Will Harris was pitching an all 162 for the Astros. It seemed like uh, at times. Man was everywhere. And, and I wonder, I wonder if that hasn't, you know, still taken a toll on him trying to find it here. I know it's been like a year and a half. But still, that was a lot of wear and tear on him in 2019. So when you're dealing with this issue uh, that he's dealing with right now, how he comes back and bounces back from each outing is still the biggest question. And that if he can't find a way to be available every day or at least every other day right now, you put Davey and Jim Hickey in a really tough spot in terms of managing that bullpen. You trust what's on the back of the baseball card, as Mike Rizzo uh, often points out and you respect that but at some point what you see every day from the player uh, ultimately determines his fate and how effective he is I mean yeah, at some point you got to get people out and you got to get through outings where you get everybody out and you, you can't allow uh, leads to continue to expand I mean it's tough enough for this team to score runs right now but you know so when you go from being down one or being down two to being down three and it just puts your offense in that much tougher of a spot otherwise outside of the back-to-back struggles that brad hand had there uh briefly uh last weekend this bullpen has performed above expectation uh, mm-hmm. as i noted earlier austin both fantastic uh you know daniel hudson fantastic uh out of the bullpen uh, so far so there's a lot of things to like and i know he keeps getting sent down because he's the guy with options but you know, Palo Espino hasn't exactly been uh, chopped liver either for them uh, in the situations uh, that they've used him. Ultimately, when you look at this team, pitching's not the issue. It's clutch hitting, two out hitting, delivering runners in scoring position. And like last night, they left 11 on base. So there's multiple opportunities. It's not like they're not getting opportunities to score runs. They just need a daggone timely hit, uh, in particular with two outs that seems to consistently be eluding this team no matter who the batter is. Like I said, you know, you go back and look at a lot of these situations, and yeah, when, when Victor Robles doesn't drive in a run or, uh, you know, when Josh Bell doesn't drive in a run with two outs, that's one thing. But these situations are finding a lot of hitters in that lineup. So it's not just, it's not just the guys with poor averages. It's also some of the guys with better averages. And we know clutch hitting and timing uh, is so important on all of this. And in baseball, unfortunately, it can be the difference between winning and losing many close games uh, during the course of a week. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't seem like, you know, or, or excuse me, it does seem like that the Nats frequently leave a lot of runners on base when you look at these frustrating losses and all the missed opportunities there are. But sticking with the bullpen, uh, I, I wanted to ask you um, about Davey Martinez in, in particular and his bullpen management and usage because – you know, it always seems to be a running joke that Davey has his guy, you know, whether it was Sean Doolittle or Wander Swear this year, um, that they, they pitch and pitch and pitch until they can't anymore. And I think having a stronger bullpen this year has certainly helped that fact, but we haven't uh, completely seen, you know, Davey 
you know, get, go away from his old habits. So I, I wanted to get your opinion on Davies' bullpen usage. And is that still something that Davies trying to improve on? Because I know that was a storyline in 2018 when guys like Madsen and Sean Kelly and, and other guys were still here. Uh, no, no, no doubt about it. And clearly when Suero went out, Finnegan uh, kind of took over that man. Right. The everyday usage guy. But also remember at the same time, you, you had Patrick Corbin struggling in the rotation a guy that normally gets you to the sixth inning minimum. You didn't have Strasburg, who's normally good for six or seven innings almost every night. You had Fetty and Joe Ross at times not getting you uh, to the sixth inning. So what are his choices? You know, what, what could he do in those situations? I think we often, we often see the sight of a reliever as, oh, here comes, here comes the manager. Well, if the manager leaves the starting pitcher in too long and he gives up a grand slam and all of a sudden you're down seven to two, then the criticism is Davey didn't pull the starting pitcher soon enough. The way the game is being played now, your veterans like Max, who pretty much determine how long they go every night, they tell the manager, okay, I think I'm out of gas. You can go ahead and go to the bullpen. Corbett, like I said, two, three, and five have been good for, you know, five, six innings so far. Lester coming back is, I think, got you to the seventh inning one time. So my retort to that would be, what do you want Davey to do? You've got close games. You've got games close. So you want your best guys and your best arms in there. And without Swero out there if and Rainey struggling to find consistency, it had to be Finnegan, Hand, Voth, and Hudson pretty much every night if you're trying to win a ball game because whenever you have a chance to win a game you got to worry about that game you can't worry about next day's game and who's available at that point so you got to go with your best people that's what Davey was doing it's not like Davey was putting guys in there that were mediocre uh, that you know uh, that you would criticize uh, for bringing them into a close game late seventh inning sixth inning Finnegan's your guy and until Tanner Rainey finds it you know the way we've seen him with it in the past you know, you've got to go Finnegan, both Hudson hand uh, in those late innings until Suero kind of gets, you know, his legs back under him uh, now. So until the starting rotation solidifies itself regularly, getting you to the sixth and seventh inning, you're going to see a lot of those guys uh, in ball games. That's just that's just the nature of the way the game is being played based on the rotation that the team has and the performance of those pitchers outside of Max Scherzer right now. And you, you mentioned the way the game is being played right now. Um, I'm going to use that as a way to segue to probably the biggest story in baseball right now, and that's Tony La Russa. Um, he had an issue with one of his players swinging when he was down up 3-0 in the count, hit a home run. He's made a lot of interesting comments about this. Um, he most recently, just about five minutes ago, called out Lance Lynn saying, Lance has a locker, I have an office, I don't agree. What type of com- like what do what do his comments have an impact on the clubhouse? And do you think it's time that baseball moves past all these unwritten rules and all the stuff of yesteryear and adapt to how the game is played now and really embrace this new school era of guys showing emotion and playing with a lot of energy? Baseball needs to be entertaining and more entertaining. We te- we keep wanting to speed it up. We keep wanting to get you home earlier 
uh, from the game. We don't want you spending more than three hours at the park. We go to a football game, we're there for three hours. Uh, we go to a basketball game, we're there for two and a half. Hockey's two and a half, barring overtime. So baseball is, is trying to get away from these marathon games. Great. Tell your pitchers to throw more strikes. Okay? That's one thing. We have a position pitcher in the game. The other team has already made a mockery of the game by bringing the position pitcher in to pitch at that point. Andrew Stevenson clobbered a, a three-run homer last week off of uh, a, David Peralta, I think it was, out uh, you know, in, in Arizona. You know, people come to see home runs. People come to be entertained. If the other team chooses to put a position pitcher in instead of a regular pitcher, that's on them. Okay? I'm going up to the plate. I'm going to hit the ball. And Tony La Russa managing the White Sox has been mismanaged from the get-go, should have never been brought back, and baseball needs to get past this stuff. Baseball players talk all the time about policing the game themselves, and, and they'll do that. And, and it doesn't have to be 94 up into a guy's face like happened to Kevin Pillar. It can be, it can be what Tyler Gaffney did uh, last night. It can be to the back of a guy's leg to say, hey, we didn't really think – we thought you kind of disrespected us last night. You, get, you head on down to first, take your free base, and, and let's play ball. If they want to keep doing that part, I completely understand that. I played baseball. I'm a competitor. I understand that. But baseball's got to find a desperate entertainment level. They've got a great superstar. They've got another. How about this? Think about this. One of the worst teams in baseball right now has three of the greatest superstars in the game on their roster. Okay? Mm -hmm. yep. Trout, Otani, and Rendon. And you know what? They stink, and nobody, <laughs> nobody knows. Nobody sees. We, we marvel at Otani because we see it on social media. We see the home runs, but the game of baseball needs to be more entertaining, and that's how you get more people to watch the game. It's not about speeding it up and making a pitcher throw a pitch every 20 seconds. It's about playing the game better. It's about not striking out 20 times during the course of a game. I mean, it's become like slow-pitch beer league softball. You either hit a home run or you make it out. It's really – if we want to do that, if we want to speed up the game, let's make every pitch a 3-2 pitch, okay? And you're either out, <laughs> safe, or whatever, you know, if we're trying to speed the game up. But otherwise, Tony Larusa, you know, at 76 years old, still having to be reminded about the rules of the game, I mean, that's on him. I, I'm, I'm over – I'm over that stuff. I'm over that stuff. Guys know when they're being disrespected out there. And they can handle it within the game amongst their peers. They don't need some 76-year-old manager coming out going, oh, I'm going to curtail my player for uh, he's going to pay for it inside in the kangaroo court for swinging 3-0. and Oh, oh my God. I agree with all of this. Amen is all Please. I can say. Look, I got, we, got people, we got people paying, in some cases, exorbitant prices to come to certain mm -hmm. ballparks and park and buy food to be entertained every night. And we, we, we don't need this 1965 mentality. The players are good enough to police the game when they feel they're being disrespected. They know how to handle it. They know when to handle it. We don't need a manager crushing his own clubhouse. I mean, now in the last two days, he's clubbed one of his position players and one of his pitchers with just silly public statements. Handle it in-house. You don't have to say anything mm -hmm. out loud. Just bring them into the office and say, fellas, hey, 3-0 against the position player. Let, let's, let's, let's not swing at that pitch 
because the other team may then retaliate and hit one of our batters. You handle it in-house. You handle it very simply there. And I believe the players respect the hell out of you more for handling it that way than this public display of, oh, my gosh, I can't believe my own guy swung 3-0. and How did that happen? You know? And then I mean, saying that he was okay with them throwing it as employers. I mean, if this was like right. how to lose a clubhouse 101. I mean, it's it's crazy to me. Without question. He just keeps on digging. I, Yeah, I don't, I don't think it seems like a tenable situation there. He was never a good fit to manage a young and exciting club like the White Sox. And this is just like a slow motion train wreck at this point. Yeah, I mean, like I, I think, think, yeah, I, mean, I think oh, about all the guys that are in the Major League Baseball pipeline. And we talked about uh, even trying to give more minorities chances. Uh, to manage in the game and hear the White Sox bring back, you know, 76-year-old Tony La Russa, and it's turning into a train wreck with a very talented team. Albeit, you know, they're banged up right now. They're they're hurt. But I just, I, I didn't understand the hire, and I don't understand the public display of just crushing your team like that. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, I don't think anyone at the, uh, the time of the hire agreed with the hire. Uh, especially with the team like the White Sox, they're young and upcoming. And, you know, you already had Tim Anderson on your team who made a name for himself with the bat flips in the high energy plays, which people really liked. So, it, yeah, that didn't make sense. And it didn't think take, of all you know, the young stars. Think of all the young stars they have and how good right. and entertaining that team can be. And yet the only thing we're talking about right now is their manager being a buffoon publicly. crushing <laughs> right. club Trying to suck all the life and joy out of the team. Right. Right. Correct. Right. Right. Well, no you talk about making the game better, and you, you hit a lot of great points. Uh, one way the game uh, can be better is obviously the broadcast for those people who don't, uh, you know, attend the game in person for, you know, if they're out of town or whatever reason. And the broadcast is a great way to draw fans in and, you know, increase the fan experience. So I wanted to ask you, obviously, the, the Nats have some, uh, you know, potential to shake up their broadcast booth. So, we know, you know, you, you've filled in the past. Is that something you'd be interested in? Have you gotten the call? Can you shed any light on that uh, potential Masson information? Well, I, I have nothing on Masson because that's that's a completely different environment. Uh, sure. You know, still hosting uh, game shows on the radio Monday through Friday for the home games. Um, you know, to, I I was called uh, that very first weekend, but I'd already I already had a commitment. Um, to the Big Ten Network on that Saturday. Uh, so I, I was not available that Saturday game to, to fill in. And, you know, obviously what they've had to do under very difficult circumstances, um, you know, I mean, that's, that's a tough spot to be in. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that's why when you, when you become an administrator, when you become a, a person that, you know, has to make some tough decisions, um, you know, it's not, a, it's, not a great, it's not a great spot for anybody because – you know, you're, you're putting people, you know, in the public eye in very uncomfortable uh, situations. And, you know, the, the Nats administratively um, have people that are, are dealing with the situation the best they can. And uh, right now doing, um, you know, the best they can under the situation um, to get the, those games on TV covered. Um, I, I think, look, I mean, I, I know Justin has been, you know, people have taken some uh, shots at him about him being quiet and things of that nature. Remember, Justin Maxwell is a major league baseball player. He's not a broadcaster. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is like broadcasting one Oh one for him. And I'm sure Bob Carpenter is doing everything he possibly can because, you know, Bob's been doing this a long time at an incredibly elite level. 
uh, for many, many years. So I'm sure Bob is doing everything he can from game to game to help Justin get better. And just like with a player, you're seeing Justin get better game after game. He's being a little more assertive. He's being, you know, he's talking loud. Um, but those are little detailed things that if you're not a professionally trained broadcaster, it takes some time to, to get those things out there. Um, and he's getting better. And again, I mean, the team, the, 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 the circumstances are, are, you would not wish those on anyone. And I know fans are uh, fans of, of people for a reason, because you feel like you get to know these people. I mean, we're incredibly fortunate here. Charlie and Dave are the best team in Major League Baseball yep. on the radio uh, mm-hmm. by a wide margin. It's not even close. Um, the fact that we were able to get a Bob Carpenter here in this market to be our longtime uh, TV voice uh, when he could have gone anywhere in the country to be, uh, you know, uh, a play-by-play guy, uh, a tremendous testament uh, to our organization. And a- as this goes along, the-, the people that are in charge of those decisions will make the ones that they feel are best uh, for the organization. And, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's really all they can do, uh, in, in a situation like this. I just think we're incredibly fortunate to have, um, you know, Charlie and Dave nightly on the radio and, and Bob, you know, nightly on the television, uh, to provide the play by play. And remember, they're not going on the road right now. Um, I was able to do that, um, you know, during one of our basketball games earlier this year, and I think as we get more people vaccinated, uh, I think we're going to get, you know, eventually we've got to get broadcasters back to the road games because baseball is by far the toughest sport to broadcast without being there. You know, the TV screen only shows you so much and you can hear it every night when guys are not in the stadium, a ball is hit in the air. They're at the mercy of the quality of the camera shot that they get. Yeah. So that's part of the issue going on right now as well. And until we get all these broadcasters back on the road where they're in attendance at these games, um, it puts them in a really, really tough spot. It, re- it just, it really does. I mean, I, di- I called football uh, earlier this year off TV. Football is not as hard because of the camera angle, the nature of the game, the way the plays are, but basketball is tough because you can't see uniform numbers on certain players on the court. Hockey's incredibly difficult, and baseball is by far the hardest. It's not even close um, with how the ball is hit, the picture you're trying to paint. You know, you're trying to show you know, people in the crowd uh, leaning into a player you know, on, the, on the left side as he comes over to take a look at the, the foul ball, where the netting is. I mean, there's just so many detailed things that when you don't see it, you don't see whether a player runs through a stop sign you don't see who's getting ready to, uh, you know, come over and cut off a ball or uh, things of that nature. There's just so many things that people don't see that we take for granted because our broadcasters are so skilled that when they're not in attendance, those are those little detailed things that you lose uh, in the game. And I hope at some point um, they will eventually be able to get back uh, on the road and, and, and really be able to truly give us. Um, you know, the great broadcast that, that, that we're used to on a nightly basis. Yeah. Not only is Justin Maxwell a former professional athlete, he's also, also in dentist school right now. So the man is very <laughs> talented, uh, balancing everything. Uh, Pete, our last question for you today. It is May 19th. What is your season prediction based on how they'll do the rest of the year and their final record prediction as of today? Fascinating case. Um, 
you know, looking at the rest of the division, I don't see anybody else taking off right now, running away and hiding and things of that nature. And I'll give the, I will give you the prediction based on the hope that Steven Strasburg is here for the rest of the season and, and in the rotation. If that's the case, I think this team can still get to 89 wins, 88, 89 wins. And with a little bit of luck, maybe an extra win or two, depending on injuries on other teams and stuff like that. You know, we saw Ronald Acuna trip over first the other night and everybody had, you know, probably had Bryce Harper and Adam Eaton type flashbacks when you saw that. You're like, oh my gosh, you know, he could have been hurt uh, really badly there. But I think this team with Strasburg in the rotation still capable of getting to 88 or 89. Like I said, they left 11 on base last night. It's not like they had two left on base or only had three mm-hmm. hits in a game. So the max I can see is, is uh, I could see 89 or 90 as long as Strauss is here for the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean, especially with how the rest of the division is pretty much a dumpster fire, especially with the Mets and how many injuries they have. Mets it's, the Mets. Yeah, it's hey, not. Look cool. at this. Think about this. Think about this. You've had two, two teams in the division already that have had fights in the dugout. We don't have any of that going on. We don't have any of that going on. We don't have any rats and raccoons. No, um, no DC rat- strangler. We don't, have right. we, we, don't, we don't have any of that going on here. This group takes their business very professionally, and they're going to keep battling. They never give up in any game, and that's a testament to Davey and, and the, that dugout every night. And that's all you can ask. When you pay your money to go to the ballpark every night, is that team going to give you everything they possibly uh, have? And, and this group does. Whether that equates in a 6-3 win or a 6-3 loss ultimately depends partly on the other team too. But if you're paying your money to go to Nats Park and watch the Nationals play, that, that group gives you everything they have every night. And until we see some drop-off in that, then – you know, that's some of that criticism, you know, can be had at that point. But I just don't see that because knowing a lot of the players that are in that clubhouse, that's not how that's not their M.O. That's not how they play. That's not the culture that Davey and Mike Rizzo set from an organizational standpoint. So I, I expect this group, you know, to, to get Strauss back in there and, and, and hit the ground running a little bit. And, and maybe they can get off on a little bit of a, a good foot here and get a nice string of maybe 8 or 10, 10 of 12, 10 of 13, something like that uh, going with the big right-hander back in the rotation. Yeah, I mean, it could always be worse. They could be starting Jones Y. Fargus every single night in right field <laughs> like the Mets are right now. <laughs> um, Pete, once again, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure having you on. Um, you guys can follow him on Twitter at Pete Methurst, and make sure you guys give him a listen while he's on air at the team 980 from 3 to 7 p.m. Pete, thanks so much, man. Take care. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Pete. All right. Big thanks to Pete Methurst for joining us. It's been a little bit since we talked to him, so I'm glad we're able to carve out some time uh, between Pete's Pete's, uh, many, many different uh, jobs and uh, catch up with him and, and talk to him a little bit. He was uh, the interview of the year for Heater Awards uh, once upon a time. So he, he has that title to, to defend once we do our Heater Awards after this season. But now let's move on to something fun. Ryan, what do you got for us? So we're going to be doing the, every Thursday, we on 
have Sierra. He are going to be doing a different Mount Rushmore. If you guys listening have any ideas, DM us, tweet us, let us know. We're going to be doing Mount Rushmore. It's just going to be our favorite things for different topics. This week's Mount Rushmore is baseball smells. So Amanda's not here. It's just going to be Nick and I. We're going to do a draft. We're going to do four picks each. It's going to be snake style, and we're going to do the Mount Rushmore, which means the best of the best for baseball smells. So I didn't do a random generator, but I'm a gentleman. Nick, get <laughs> us started off with your first pick for the Mount Rushmore, the best of the best of baseball smells. Oh, man, this is tough because I don't. I'm sure you're going to disagree with me because I'm, I'm sure you, you have your, your uh, pre-draft big board. For me, there isn't that one that that rises above all the rest. Um, you know, there, there's plenty of great ones, so I don't think either of us are going to have a bad list. Um, you know what? I'm I'm just going to go the smell of the you know the field. I don't know if that that counts, but like the grass and the dirt, it's a very specific smell. That was I don't, my first pack. I was going to say, does that count? Because I, I didn't want to take just grass. I didn't want to just take say the, say fresh cut grass and it counts. Yeah, fresh fresh cut grass, but like it's it's a very specific combo of both. It, it's just anyone who's been around a baseball field a lot just knows that smell. It's very distinct. I'm sure it's just dirt and grass. But that's effectively what it is, but it's very distinct. It you know hits you right in the fields. Anyone if you catch a whiff of it, you know you're at the ballpark. So I think that you know it is the number one, and it's my number one pick. Yeah, I mean, that was that was an absolute fantastic pick on your half. So it's my turn. Um, I get two picks here, and I'm kind of nervous. Um, that was going to be my first pick. Don't mess it up. <sighs> I messed up. I'm really scared. So for baseball smells, there's nothing I love smelling more than when I go to Nats Park. I'm so scared. I didn't want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like. Just when you like when you're walking through the concourse, all the different food smells like the fried food, the popcorn, the pizza, all of that together, just getting hit with that, like brings me back to being like Camden Yards when I was a keg getting popcorn and stuff, the soft pretzels, just all the fast, greasy food coming together as you're trying to find your seat. Absolute top notch. Mm -hmm. Absolute top notch. So that is my top, top smell. I mean, it is a wild move for you to just claim all the food. <laughs> <laughs> like, you just eliminated, like, two-thirds of all of <laughs> <laughs> Look, look, alpha moves only, okay? I don't even know what I'm allowed to take anymore, but it, it, we're doing snake draft, so you get another pick. I know. Um, so my next one, you know... Game, games are pretty hot, you know, when you're there, you're cooking in the sun for a while. So you got people spraying sunscreen, but like that sunscreen that's mixed with like the really sweaty person next to you who's creeping into <laughs> yeah. your seat. It's like that musk, the nice musk with the sunscreen combo as you're sitting there bathing. You know, I've had a couple of those frozen marks that are out in center field. Um, get some frozen margaritas from Chili's, by the way. So my first pick is all the food. I claim the food. And my second pick is the sun lotion sweat combo of the people who sit around you. I don't even know what to take anymore because I had food. 
can, I'll, 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 I'll narrow it down. Like I'll, I'll do popcorn and soft pretzels. Okay. So I'll narrow it down, but I'm still taking more than one. Got it. All right. Cool. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm because it's available. I'm taking French fries because it's such a distinct smell. You can walk into any restaurant, you smell French fries, you know what it is. You walk into a ballpark, you walk past any food stand, you can smell French fries if there's French fries there. So I absolutely have to take that while there's still food left on the board. Um, The third pick, I'm going to go with something similar to your second pick, and it's funny you mentioned that. And it's your own smell when you've been cooking in, in the sun. Because you know it's bad when you can smell how bad you smell, but at the same time, you're at the ballpark. You don't care. You're outside. You're there to watch the game and you're cooking, maybe getting a tan or, you know, maybe getting burned. Who knows? But you're just, it it just doesn't matter. So it's your smell, but it's your smell when it doesn't matter because you're at the ballpark. So that's my third pick. Um. Man, this is tough. I'm really glad Amanda's in here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, like I said, all food was just such an absurd <laughs> move with your first pick. <laughs> um, I'm going pine tar for my next pick, right? Um, I know maybe that's more of like an individual one. If you're using it, you're not going to smell pine tar when you're at a game, but the smell of pine tar is absolutely fantastic and it's as baseball as it gets. So I am going with pine tar. And for my last pick, my last pick, I, there's a lot of different routes I could do this, but what I'm going with, you're going to take is, all the rest of the smells. <laughs> <laughs> no. So this is like really specific. So, you know, when you're at a playoff game and it's a night game, and it's kind of cold. Mm-hmm. And you have like that crisp fall smell, the sky mixed with like just baseball around you. So mm-hmm. I'm going with the crisp fall night sky smell. I know exactly what it smells like because fall is in the air and I am claiming it as my last pick. So we've just graduated to any smell that's outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, my last pick, I was going to go with uh, peanuts because even if you're not a peanut person or uh you know allergic whatever there's usually someone around you eating peanuts and just throwing them on the ground which is one of the more elite things about a baseball game and i guess a football game too you just throw peanuts on the ground and nobody cares that that that's cool shout out five guys as well but i'm gonna take when you're at the ballpark and it's usually you know still as far as like the wind goes but then you get that nice breeze so you, you get all like you know of the baseball smells collectively it's very eclectic and you just get that breeze so you're cooling off but then you just take a deep breath of everything going around you you literally take it all in so that's my final pick i like my smells (laughs) it's probably not a great draft (laughs) (laughs) we made it work though we each had four and that's Look, after, you know, we eliminated every single food item <laughs> possible. When I haven't been to a baseball game since game three of the World Series in 2019, I picked this because I thought it was going to be funny. And it was. So I win. No, it was, it was funny. <laughs> it was entertaining. It, it's funny you mentioned that, though, because I was thinking, you know, now that 
you know, I'm vaccinated and, you know, stuff's opening up again. I was trying to think the last game I went to, and that was literally game five of the NLDS in LA. And it's like, what's ever going to compare to that for me? Do I ever go back? Like, I mean, you went to a World Series game, which is awesome, but they lost. So it's like, oh, I'm going to go back. So for me, it's like I had the the tippy top and it's anything else is going to be disappointing, especially this year, the way the Nats are playing. So I think I might hold off a little bit. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, they kind of suck. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, you know, I, I love going to Nats games and I love the experience. I love the baseball smells of the food, the time, whatever. But, I mean, uh, all right, let's move on to Twitter questions. We have a lot. Oh, Twitter questions and concerns. Excuse me. We have a lot of them. We have a lot of concerned heaters out there with the way that the team is playing. Still leading for now. We'll, we'll see how it finishes up. But plenty of fans concerned, and they certainly have a reason to be. The, the, the first one is from <laughs> I've been laughing at this all day <laughs> from shaggy balls underscore <laughs> got it um uh, it's just Kevin Long Kevin Long <laughs> colon and then I, I guess it's just left up to interpretation so <laughs> all right I mean we talked about Kevin Long a little bit with Pete but what what's your opinion on Kevin Long <laughs> I'm sorry it's a lot that shaggy balls <laughs> um i've i've said it before i don't know how much you can put this offensive struggles on kevin long um there's definitely an argument for concern and there's an argument about his job being on the hot seat but i feel like this year's struggles are strictly on the poor line of construction it's just at that and i think kevin long's honestly fine I don't know if you get someone better if you let him go, like Pete was mentioning. But to me, I think it's all the yeah. lack of talent he has. Yeah, and there's certainly you know a need for just better at bats and better you know production offensively, and that's not on the hitting coach. You know, it, the the Mariners are probably a great example. They're hitting below what 200 as a team. Is that correct? 199. Yeah, so they're hitting below 200 as a team. That's not on the hitting coach. That's that's just a poorly constructed roster. The Nats are in the same boat. They just don't have a, a roster constructed to produce offense. We've talked about it ad nauseum, as Amanda likes to say. So, you know, it's hard to, to blame Kevin Long, but I certainly understand why people would be concerned about Kevin Long because we haven't really seen much reduction. And now we see guys like Soto struggling, which could be explained by injury or, you know, any other reasons that we're not privy to. But, you know, like I said, reason to be concerned. So shout out Shaggy Balls. And speaking of Shaggy Balls, you thought I forgot. Nope. Manscaped. Lawnmower 4.0 can remove any Shaggy Balls. Maybe we should send a Lawnmower 4.0 to our friend Shaggy Balls. If you have shaggy balls or, you know, if you just wanted to manscape, pun intended, shout out Monty, the lawnmower 4.0 is for you. It's cutting edge, another pun intended, shout out Monty. The engineer, the manscape engineering team has confirmed they have successfully created the lawnmower 4.0, which is now available for purchase in the USA and Canada. It was just released. Uh, We got ours, the whole Half Street High Heat team. It's phenomenal. 
it's, you know, the lawnmower 3.0 was already the best of the best. And now the 4.0 literally is just that. It's taking what was already the best and made it better. It's insanely, you know, great how the 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 craftsmanship and the details on the 4.0 are next level. So I highly recommend it. And Half Street High Heat has got you covered. Use our promo code HSH820 at manscaped.com to take 20% off the lawnmower 4.0 or anything else you might like. I've been using the crop preserver, which is the ball deodorant. And let me tell you, when it, it was hot today and on a day like today, you're going to need some crop preserver and it is game changing. So I highly recommend that as well if you have not tried that out. But there's absolutely no reason you shouldn't try anything out on Manscaped because we are giving you 20% off and free shipping. So again, use our promo code HSHH20 for 20% off and free shipping. All right, next uh, question from mmore13 underscore 02. Mike Rizzo not investing in position players. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty big concern. They've given... One free agent position player, a contract over $100 million on Jason Worth. Ryan Zimmerman got a contract extension at $100 million, but not free agent. So there's only one. Um, the next highest con- free agent contract given out to a position player by Mike Rizzo after Jason Worth is Daniel Murphy at $36 million. That's an issue. For a while, it was fine. This team was built in with expensive pitching because they're pumping out homegrown stars. You know, they had Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon, Trey Turner's coming up. Guys like that, they're absolutely crucial that they knew they could just plug in pieces around them. The problem is now you're not pumping out dudes at that rate. And you're going to have to start investing. Your team is old. Your lineup is old. It's a fair concern. Now they do have a good amount of money coming off the books this year. Maybe the organization knows that they're going to have to start spending more on position players and they can't keep doing this pick and grab aging bets. Hopefully they realize that. Otherwise, it's not going to be a very fun couple of years. Yeah, and, you know, I'm not in the same boat as I know some are, which I, I do think is completely warranted. But, you know, some people are saying Mike Rizzo is very overrated, and I think there is an argument for that. You know, he doesn't really value position players that we've seen. And the position players we have, he's kind of lucked into. You mentioned Jason Worth, which, you know, was the first one, and we needed to make a splash to kind of, like, establish that D.C. is a destination. Ryan Zimmerman was already the guy, so you're going to extend him, okay? And then it's a huge drop to Daniel Murphy. But Daniel Murphy fell into their lap after a failed trade for Brandon Phillips, who blocked a trade to D.C. So that one fell into Rizzo's lap. Trey Turner fell into Rizzo's lap because the the Padres vastly overpaid for Steven Souza and um, Rizzo offered an insane contract extension to Ian Desmond, who turned it down. So, I mean, yeah, he, he tried to extend Desmond, but how bad of a deal would that have been? So even though he was trying to invest in a position player, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been the right investment. So he got bailed out in that regard. Juan Soto, no one expected him to be this good. Everyone thought Robles was the guy, and Soto was supposed to be what Robles is as far as, you know, just overall value. But he lucked into Juan Soto. Bryce Harper, Rendon, you know, those guys were top-tier picks. So 
Rizzo just doesn't invest in position players. And now here we are, 2021, with a depleted roster because we sold out to win a World Series, which there's nothing wrong with that because we actually won a World Series. But we have no position players and no reinforcements coming. So it's tough. It's tough to see. You you hope he can work some magic, but we don't have a lot to play with. You know, I've been throwing out some some trades here and there, but at the same time, like if you trade Eric Fetty, and like Pete mentioned, if Strauss goes down or anyone else goes down, well, now you're back to, you know, kind of piecing it together again. You don't have depth. And we don't have much in the farm to trade that we're willing to. So it's tough. But all right. On to the next one, and that's on the pod thrice. Monty asks, what's your favorite advanced statistic? No, Monty, this is a very good question. You know, when you're looking at there's a lot of different ways. You know, are you talking about advanced? Are you talking about analytics? Which way are you talking about? Um, you know, but when you're looking at it, a lot of people question war. I do as well. Um, I think war is a little shifted and biased towards certain positions. Those positions being shortstop and center field. Yep. If you're if you're good offensively either position and you're decent defensively, you're gonna have an unreal war at either of them. Important ones I do like. Um, I'm not really that big on Babip. I think DRS is probably my favorite for defense. I think that one says a lot. Ultimate zone rating as well, pretty important for defense. Pitching, I, I don't really like a lot of these a lot of these, you know, quote, advanced statistics or pitching, just give me how it is. ERA, strike up per nine. I do like looking at pop-up rate, ground ball rate, leverage index. Um, I think leverage index is kind of interesting for relievers. It basically says how they do in high leverage, low leverage, medium leverage. Leverage, excuse me, situations. Offense, big fan of weighted runs created plus. That's probably my favorite for offense. Um, OPS plus as well. I think OPS is the best metric to analyze a hitter. I don't like batting average, big OPS guy and big WRC create the plus guy. Fantastic question. Just an unreal question from an unreal heater and Monty. Um, yeah, you, you covered a lot of them. I love, I do think OPS, which it seems like OPS is kind of like the defining metric nowadays. Like it used to be batting average for a long time and then it kind of shifted to OBP, but now it's like, why, why shift to OBP when you can just shift to OPS? So it seems like that's kind of the, you know, the, the benchmark for determining a player's value. Cause even on, you know, the jumbotrons, usually they'll, they'll show home runs and RBIs, but now they kind of, they'll, you'll see the OPS up there. So uh, that's cool to see that that's always a great one. And obviously OPS plus waiter runs created plus, Great ones. I actually am a big fan of BABIP um, because I like to know what it's like if you just eliminate the strikeouts, which actually you can't do. You have to be able to put the ball in play. But what happens when you put the ball in play? And, you know, we, we've talked about BABIP with Josh, Josh Bell and how his, you know, BABIP is uncharacteristically low for not just Josh Bell standards, but for major league standards. So that kind of tells you that he's just not, you know, getting lucky and he's hitting balls right at guys, which obviously he needs to, you know, find some holes and, and he can't count on luck to get it right. But it is cool to to take that dive using BABIP to, to kind of get more of a picture painted, so to speak. Um, and that's something I use when, when I coach as well. Um, 
as as far as pitching goes, you know, I, I again I like the the kind of more classic ones, K per nine, like you mentioned. Whip I, I look at a lot and um uh strikeout to walk ratio. I think those are all great ones, but those are probably not necessarily considered advanced ones. Um but yeah, I, I, I'm pretty straightforward. I, I like hard hit percentage too, but you know, obviously we you don't have to hit a ball hard for it to be a hit. So hits a hit no matter if it's 80 miles an hour or 110 miles an hour, but all good stuff to look at if you want to really do a deep dive into your team or any team. Next question at Manuel Trevetti men left on blade men left on base in lack of consistency. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've hit down the head a lot in this pod. As Pete mentioned, they left 11 on base the other day. They're the worst team in baseball with runners in scoring position. You have to think at some point that's going to change. I don't know if it's an approach thing. I don't know if they're just swinging for the fences or maybe they're not good, but they're six games under 500 for a reason. And a large part of that is because they can't hit with runners in scoring position. So this is a fantastic, fantastic concern that you have and one that they really need to get fixed out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a valid concern. It's a huge concern because even getting runners on base is kind of a task for us to, to, you know, accomplish. And then, you know, getting them home is just seems to be twice as hard. So this is something that, you know, trickles down to clutch hitting, which we absolutely suck at, suck at with, you know, runners in scoring position, but also runners on third and less than two outs. We're just absolutely the worst at it. And I legitimately thought when you were talking about the NAS, you were just going to stop at, this is the worst team in the league. I didn't think you were going to finish that or qualify that sentence. So I was waiting for that. All right. Next question at Jay Barossa. Jay Barossa. Um, okay. Two part question. Except I don't see a second part. So bear with me. I know fan is short for fanatic, which is a synonym synonym for clouded thinker, but I'm continuously surprised by fans who can't see the big picture. 2019 was a miracle. This team has to figure out how to strip down, how to strip down to Trey, Corbin, Soto, and Strauss. Everyone else is taking up space. I say Corbin and Strauss because no team would take their bloated contracts. How can the Nats extend Trey and Soto? Soto reminds me of 500 million at Harper extension nonsense. He hasn't even played two seasons. So loaded question there. I think what he's trying to say is sell, but keep the the pillars there, which is kind of something we talked about. And how can the Nets feasibly extend both Trey and Soto? Yeah. I, if this season continues the way it is, they need to sell all expiring contracts. Um, You have to explore a lot of them. Max is going to be that controversial one that people are going to get upset about. But if this team is playing this poorly come July and you're really, really out of it, if you have an offer you can't refuse, you have to do it. I think the Nats need to retool and they need to retool and build around Trey Turner and Juan Soto. Trey's a very interesting one for free agency right now. His value is going up, but his value for price-wise is at an all-time high right now. It is going to continue to go down. Well, continue to go down. He was this year, I think, next year until his free agent. Mm-hmm. It's going to go down because he is going to be hitting the market at age 30. There is one starting shortstop in all of baseball 
who's over the age of 30 and plays every single day. That absolutely kills its value. Now, the Nats may want to give him a big contract, but it's going to be less than $200 million. With the money you have coming off the books in the last several years, that's okay. You can do that. Juan Soto, don't listen to the $500 million. Don't listen to $400 million. He's not getting either of that. He's not touching $400 million. Um, Mike Trout is the only person who deserves that, unless Juan Soto, he has four years until the free agency, does what Mike Trout did over 162 games for every single year until he hits free agency. All right, then. We're having a different conversation, but we don't know what the Nationals' payroll is going to be like in four or five years, but you know for a fact they're going to have a lot of money because they're four or five years down the road. They will be able to sign Trey Turner and Juan Soto long-term. The question is, when Juan Soto hits free agency, because he will, because who his agent is, will the Nats be able to outbid everyone else who's going to be in on that? That's going to be the big question. Yeah. Um, As far as the first half of the question goes and, you know, stripping it down, that's something we need to see the season play out a little bit more just because of the state of the NLE. It's not even just the state of the Nats. If we're just going off the state of the Nats, we need to sell. But because of the NLEs and the way it is, you have to see how things play out a little bit more. Possibly we see, you know, um, you know, mid to late June deal acquisition, I should say, just to see if we can't, you know, spark something in early July and kind of really force the hand of Mike Rizzo that we're a contender we need to buy. I don't think we can rule that out, but I don't think we should rule anything out. And that includes stripping it down like Jay Barossa, you know, ha- has proposed here. You need to be open to anything. We have a couple of, you know, expiring contracts that would be pretty enticing to to other teams in a playoff spot or playoff contention. Max obviously being a great one. That's one people will be calling about even if the Nats are adamant that they will not move Max. Kyle Schwarber is another one. He he's starting to figure it out and but even if he isn't completely back by the time the trade deadline hits, he's still enticing. He's a power lefty bat and a team like, you know, the Dodgers or maybe the Yankees teams with depth, they'll kill for, you know, that kind of power and potential off the bench. So, you know, the, the contenders will pay for that. Um, Jan Gomes would fetch a, a good solid return expiring contract. I think, yeah, it's expiring contract, right? Or does he have another year? No, this is his last year. Yeah, so expiring contract, that's one to, to monitor because he's been playing very well this year, so that is definitely something to monitor, especially if a contender's catcher gets hurt. Um, but point being, we have several you know, enticing options that could net us you know, a good return, whether it's quality, uh, you know, a couple of good prospects, or quantity, just uh, a good group of solid prospects to really you know, get new life into the farm, which... By the way, the farm has really been struggling, so that's something to you know monitor. <laughs> um, struggling is lightly. They have yeah the worst record of all MLB farm systems combined, and their run differential is negative one forty eight across all levels. Yeah, so I, I was underselling it a little bit, <laughs> but you know it, it's something to monitor. You you need to be open to to all options. Just because you sell this year doesn't mean you're punting on twenty twenty two. You can easily reevaluate after the season. You can easily sign 
you know, people, whoever's on the market and whoever you think can help your team win in 2022, you can still go sign them. Punting on this year does not mean we're, you know, heading for a rebuild. I think a rebuild should be on the table as well. I don't think you can automatically say no to it, but, you know, you just need to be open to anything. As far as the contracts go, the only thing they can do with Trey now is wait till free agency. I, I don't love it because, you know, we get PTSD from Harper and Rendon, but the Nats have played this so poorly that you're going to need to see if the, the, the value goes down a little bit, which, as Ryan said, the older he gets, the less, you know, likely he is to get what he would command right now at this point in time because he's legitimately playing like an MVP candidate. You know, that's Shaq's movement, and it started before the season, but it's a legitimate movement. Like, there's, there's some weight to that, and if you're going to pay an MVP candidate, you're going to need to pay a lot, and that's not something the Nats have been known for, especially with position players like we just talked about. So they need to wait it out and see how that happens. Soto's definitely hitting free agency, like Ryan said, because his agent is Scott Boris. Uh, an extension is not going to happen unless it's record-breaking, which, again, you don't really see the Nats ponying up for. So that's something to, uh, to, to monitor, but I, I wouldn't really predict anything to happen soon. Um, oh, here's part two of the question. Lastly, the Nats haven't developed a single legit catching prospect in 16 years. Why? This is a good question. Yeah. Um, so I just looked up the Nationals' entire draft history. They drafted the highest they ever drafted catcher was in the third round. They drafted catcher in the fourth round this year, fourth round one other time, sixth round, and then every other time was ninth and tenth round and beyond. The thing is, they're not really spending good picks on catchers, but also there's not many good catchers that come out of college and out of high school, um, except for the one the Orioles just drafted, but he's a complete freaking nature as a catcher and what his potential is. He's a very rare breed, but with catchers, the last several years, there has, as analytics has grown in the game, there has been a huge shift in only putting a focus, not only, um, putting a focus on catchers' defensive metrics. There are the rare breeds like JT Real Muto, um, Wilson Contreras. Buster Posey for a while. Buster Posey for a while really rare breeds that are great offensively most teams they put the effort in defense why because they realize if you have a solid catcher defensively that's going to help out a lot it helps with you know game calling you know pitchers get, getting strikes um stealing strikes as well with framing they realize there is a big value in that and getting catchers to only focus on that they realize you know what we can win games from this out of all position players, not obviously not kind of pitchers, catchers have the worst offensive splits out of all positions. Why? That's because, like I said, teams are putting more of a defensive focus on catchers, which is fine. If you have a good defensive catcher, it does not matter what they hit. Bat them eighth, bat them ninth, it does not matter how they do offensively. Their value is exclusively defense, and if they're providing plus defense, that's tremendously invaluable. Like Jan Gomes... You know, he's had his ups and downs offensively, but he's always been solid defensively, which matters. And his pitching staff likes throwing to him, which is also extremely, extremely valuable. So that's kind of why. Not drafting anyone high, huge shift in putting value on defense over offense with catchers league-wide. Yeah, <clears throat> and as we, we've talked about this a little bit before, but it's just tough to find a good catcher. Like, it's not just the Nats that haven't really been drafting 
are uh, producing catching prospects. It's pretty much the whole league. Look at the catchers around the league right now. That the top tier is, you know, Contreras, Grandal, and Real Muto. Then it's a step down. You can kind of get your your Will Smiths, your Mitch Garbers in there. But definitely a step down. And after that, it's kind of just like, all right, who provides value defensively? And we'll just take whatever they can do offensively. That That's how it is. That's what the catching game is nowadays. But, you know, you look at a guy like Yadier Molina, he's not a scrub offensively, but he has a job at age 38 or 39, whatever he is, because he's just that good defensively. He provides so much value to a team that it doesn't matter that he's, you know, almost AARP age, it's, you know, his defense is worthy of him not only being on a team, but starting. So, you know, it's not just the Nats. It's not something I'm concerned about. Obviously, it would be nice to have a great catcher. Uh, I thought, you know, they, they really should have made a run at Real Muto because it's rare that the best catcher in the league hits the market at, you know, prime age. But it is what it is. It, it's over now. Jan Gomez is playing well, so... You know, thankfully that that worked out well, but there's st- it's still going to be a position they need to address next year. So definitely something to monitor. All right, at one lovely lady C says it's been nice to see Victor looking better at the plate. Is this stretch he is in? Is this stretch he is in sustainable? And will this be him for the rest of the season? And does this meet or satisfy the ex- expectations set forth on him? So I don't think he'll ever meet or satisfy those expectations because unfortunately the organization put a lot, a lot of expectations on the kid. Um, whether that was him being one of the top prospects in baseball, talk about how he's a five tool player, talk about how I don't want that guy in the opposing batters box against me, all the players they could trade him for. And everyone's like, yo, this guy's supposed to be better than Soto. That was a lot of pressure put on him. <clears throat> he's been fine. He's hasn't been that five tool player, but over his last seven games, not including tonight, he's hitting 350, 435, 600. He has four RBIs, seven hits, only five strikeouts in his last seven games, which we as know of Victor, he strikes out a lot. Which his season's very interesting because when you look at his peripherals, it doesn't make sense. You like he shouldn't be as poor offensively as he is. Usually when you have a decent strikeout rate like he does. He doesn't have the hard hard hit rate, which I don't really care about. Your numbers should be fine, but his aren't. Like, I don't know. I just, I keep looking at his analytics. I cannot figure out why his offensive numbers aren't better. There's no like one telltale thing where you're like, ah, that's why. It doesn't make sense with him. Now he is having a really good stretch. The problem with Victor, will it last? We've seen these flashes before and everyone gets really excited and doesn't last now this one is on seven games his last 15 he's hitting 273 347 386 so he's quietly having a rather good month of may i hope it can stay the nats need it to stay um and he's a young exciting player hopefully his ankle is okay and it just stays forward and vic is off the ground running yeah uh he'll never meet those expectations for the reasons you said but also people are comparing him to juan soto whether that's fair or not, Robles was touted as the better prospect. So, you know, there is some basis for that argument. Like, why why is Vic not even looking like, you know, a great value on Soto? He's a solid player, but he's just like we talked about with catchers. He's a center fielder where 
you take the defense because it's elite level defense and you just accept whatever's happening offensively. As far as, you know, the um, expectations for him and is this sustainable, I think that depends on where he's at in the lineup. And that's actually Lovely Lady C's second part of the question. Did Davey or the Nationals uh, organization give up Robles leading off too soon? I don't think they did. Something needed to change. Robles was atrocious leading off. And I think that's just that that's a mindset ha- being a leadoff guy is a completely different approach and yeah batting him ninth is effectively a second leadoff which is you know a, a common strategy but it is a different mindset and he's batting in front of Trey so he has Trey for for protection so i i'm i'm of the the mindset that you know if it ain't broke don't fix it and you know it's clearly working for Obliss right now but at the same time if, you know, like I said at last episode, if the offense is continuing to struggle and Robles is continually continuing to do well, you you got to try it again and see if something doesn't give because something needs to change for this offense to to produce more and help out this team. Um, I I actually think they did move him too early. Really? Yeah. Like I just I felt like it wasn't a large enough sample size to truly grasp how he was doing there. I feel like a lot of it was that since the team was struggling so much that there was some sense of urgency and pressure that the coaching staff. And the so he was office, like kind of, the, of a fall guy for the offense. Yes. I feel like kind of like with those starters being left out there a little too long. Right. I kind of feel like that was coming from up. I just feel like this team, this front office realized Hey, we got to get going. Let's like go back to what works. We know trade at the top of the order with Soto second works. Let's do that. I feel like they didn't want to experiment with it because they got off to such a slow start and this team needed to start winning games. Now, they haven't really started winning games since. Um, but I think they should give it another try. If you give it a week and he struggles again, you move him back down. The only pro- problem with that is you kind of run to a thing where, well, maybe you're going to start messing with the guy. His whole season's going to be messed up. Right. That can happen, especially with younger players. But I, I would move him back up. I think the lineup will benefit from him being at top of the order. You can put Soto second, Trey third, Trey second, Soto third. It gives you a little bit more flexibility as well. Yeah, and there is something to be said, not just going from leadoff to anywhere else in the in the lineup, leadoff to ninth, leadoff to eighth, whatever Robles is doing. But just batting in a different spot every day is a different approach. I remember, I believe it was 2018 and Davey Martinez's first year in the job where he had literally a different lineup every day. I, I can't remember the final count, but it was like, it, it was up there as far as different lineup combinations he went with. But the, the vets in particular were, were mad because, you know, they, they had their routines in as far as where they're hitting and their approaches and their mindsets. So the fact that it was changing every day, they, no one could really get into a groove. Uh, I mean, that 2018 w- was stacked, 2018 team was stacked with talent offensively. But again, you're not doing anyone any favors when you're constantly moving guys. We talk about it with Joe Ross going from the bullpen to the rotation back and forth, back and forth forever. And doing that re- with Robles would hurt him because, you know, He's finally gotten to a groove batting, you know, eighth and ninth. You put him first and let's say he struggles. Well, now now you pull him and and drop him back down to eighth and ninth. 
one, he's just going to remember his, his struggles. And two, it kind of hurts his confidence and his routine and his groove. You, you ruin that, that good stretch because, yeah, it's needed, but is it the best for the team if it's hurting the player? Probably not. But I, I imagine we're going to see Robles leading off at some point because, again, the, this offense needs something. All right, last question slash concern of the night comes from at B underscore Randon. Does it seem like Castro doesn't hustle down first base? I swear sometimes it feels like he's walking. Uh, no hate on him. I think he's good. Also, continue talking about how Trey is, uh, how good Trey is because, geez, he's on fire emoji. Yeah, Trey Turner, 2021 NL MVP. Make sure everyone remembers that I started that movement, and now it's real life. But Castro's been in the league a little while, and he kind of does that thing that a lot of the vets do where – if they know they're out, they're going to just trot down the first base. They don't go 100%. That's also kind of one of those dumb, unwritten things. If you remember when Bryce made his debut, he right. always went 100%, and all the old heads were like, respect the game. That's not how you blow it, blah, 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 that stuff. Um, there has been times when Castro was kind of like just trotting down the first, and like the first baseman dropped it or like someone in the infield bobbled it, and then he like goes full gear. I have noticed that before, but I feel like that's just such a thing that, 99.678%. I am getting that specific of baseball players do. It's just one of those things that happens in the league. Yeah, like, you know, this is this all has to do with hindsight. Like, if, if you're trotting down to first and the guy bobbles and you didn't expect it, well, you had the benefit of hindsight. You know, 99 out of 100 times, that's going to be easy routine play, even if the guy is going 100, 110% out of the box. These are major league guys. Yes, errors happen. You never know. But again, this is the major leagues. I understand it, and it's definitely something to point to and just effort and hustle, but it's not something that's ever going to bother me. It didn't bother me with Bryce. It's not going to bother me with someone like Starlin Castro. It, it is what it is. Like, you know, if he hustles and he, you know, it is gets on base because of it because he beats out an error or, th- or a bad throw or whatever great but I, I even if that happens i don't think he's ever going to change his, his strategy if you know rolls over on one to shortstop or whatever so it is what it is but yeah trey turner is a god amongst men sorely needed and you can only imagine how bad this team would be without trey and i can't believe i see people saying trey sucks on twitter uh, I think that's just stupid. And this is only negative fans would say something that outrageous. And we're uh, not negative. And we are never, not negative. We never do that. Never. Absolutely. Absolutely never. I mean, we literally had a positively positive episode last week. So there's no negativity coming from after high heat. Um, that's it for our show. Ryan, you got anything else? Uh, no, um, Han just gave up a home run, so let's see if the Nats actually hold this out. Yeah, I, I was wondering if, you know, we, we recorded a little bit longer than I thought we were going to, but, you know, the game's still not over, so definitely something to monitor, and Han's ERA just keeps creeping up, and uh, he's pitching to future Nat Chris Bryant right now, so we'll, we'll see if, uh, you know, who, who gets the better of that matchup, but... Make sure you check out the website at halfstreethighheat.com. Articles every single day. 
there's actually one today about how great Trey Turner is and how much we really need to appreciate him written by Matt CK breaks down the pitching uh, of every single series. Um, so be on the lookout for that myself, Shaq, Monty fill in. Um, it, it, it's great stuff. So be sure to check out the website, follow us all on Twitter. Uh, you can find everyone's handles at half street high heat, which is the main account. And I'm trying to kill time to see if hand gets out Bryant, but um, it's a one, one count right now. Yeah. <laughs> I was like trying to extend this to just to see if we got, you know, a hit, a run, uh, and out. that is what <laughs> start talking. Um, Let's see. What are, oh, oh, I, I forgot to mention. I, I buried the lead here. My team won a, on a walk-off suicide squeeze tonight. Suicide yeah, squeeze, did. Nick. Suicide oh, squeeze, he got Nick a base Nick. hit. All right. We might have to kill it there. <laughs> <laughs> we tried, everyone. We, we tried we to give tried. you our reaction to we it. We tried. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk like the game is over. How did the game end? Um, I'm predicting a Nationals victory. Okay. Okay, so yeah, so Brad Hand got uh, whoever's pinch hitting. Okay, so Wilson. Wait, no, who's pinch hitting? Oh, Matt Duffy. I know they Mike, keep showing Mike, the replay. <laughs> Mark Duffy, Matt Duffy. So Brad Hand got Matt Duffy to ground out to short, and Trey Turner flipped to Josh Harrison for the force out. So congratulations, Nats, on winning four three. Round of applause. <laughs> um, congratulations to the Nats on winning one of what was otherwise a not-so-fun series, aside from seeing Lester and Schorber make their returns to Wrigley. And the Twix bar thing with Kyle Schorber and Chris Bryant was pretty funny, too. All right. All right. That does it for the show. Uh, we will talk to you guys next week, and follow us on Twitter for any updates. Talk to you guys later. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. Let's go, Nats. We've got a game to play. We're gonna win today. Let's go. By the early light of dawn, well you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go Nats, we've got a game to play We're gonna win today, let's go
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.